Welcome back to the CFB Dynasty Podcast. I'm Zach Tao. I'm here with Matt Knowles and Brian McElfresh, and we have a pretty big discussion tonight uh, about um, a few things, but mainly the inconsistencies of the college football playoff system, determining a champion, um, rules, transparencies, and maybe even talking about how to make some more parity within college football with player imbalances and what have you. Um, first of all, how are you, how you doing, guys? Hey, what's going on, Zach? My name is Matt Knowles. I am one half of Insymmetry Creations. I've played fantasy football for 27 years or so, been a co-commissioner of the CFB Dynasty College and Pro Leagues with Brian McKelfers for the past 13. And I'm also the most successful owner in the history of CFB Dynasty, or at least that's what the voices in my head tell me. <laughs> hey, I'm Brian McElfresh here. I am a digital marketing uh, company owner uh, for Searchalytics and uh, SEO, PPC is my background. But college football has always been my love. Uh, born in Gainesville, I started CFB Dynasty out of need. Um, so in addition to the, the weekly rankings that we provide and preseason rankings and mock drafts and cheat sheets and all that stuff for college fantasy football, we've got a pretty cool tool coming out that's going to help you this year that uh, we're working on in the background currently. And as a disclaimer for everybody out there, we're not talking tonight about the changes we want to see on the college football field itself. We're not talking about between the hash marks. We're talking about things that happen outside of the field, the administration side of it, that things we feel like could change to help better the game and make it more consistent with other sports offerings in the United States. Yeah, we got, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, we don't really have a time limit, but we're going to try to keep it pretty concise if we can. Um, and, but first I, I'll just say, I don't have any, special title of what job I do. I actually have a journalism degree from the University of Memphis, and I've been writing about college football, you know, here and there, just created my own site, CFF News, if you guys were ever um, a part of that site in the years past. So um, Brian got in, got in touch with me, and we've been kind of talking about doing a podcast, and here we are. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I think we should start, start with parity in college football. That's what I think we should start with. And we, we've we talked about how the same teams seem, seem to win each and every year. And that's that's okay. Those teams, deservedly so, should, should be rewarded for that. But how do we promote other teams to reaching that success? Brian, you want to go ahead and jump in on that? Yeah, sure. So, you know, overall, I think uh, the stat is, um, you know, the big, the main three teams, you got Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama um, have played in 17 out of the 21 playoff games to date. Um, so it's not really a bad thing for those teams. Those teams are, are crushing it. Um, nothing to kind of hinder those teams, but I think everyone, you know, outside of those fan bases would like to see other teams uh, have have more of a shot and uh, have it be a slightly less of the the haves and have nots. And uh, we can talk about you know a ton of the problems that are there um, with the the you know transparency of the rules, the player imbalance, and how do we determine a champion? Um, so uh, yeah, Matt, what do you think? How do you so want to kick I, this off? Yeah, so I think that you know. One of the things here, too, with this being the CFB Dynasty podcast, there are some of these points that are going to affect directly the college football game itself. There are some that have nothing to do with college fantasy in a, in a direct form, but overall we all would have to play within these, um, these confines, and it would make the game better overall. Um, so one of the things that we brought up right off the bat was the, the there's no centralized body for – making sure that everybody operates the same. If you are in the NFL or if you are in a professional league, um, you're not going to have different rules for the AFC East than you are for the NFC South. Um, 
every team in that league is going to operate under the same rules. Now, obviously, you have the different conferences in college football, but you should not be able to have the SEC that is going to operate differently from the ACC or even the Sun Belt. I know we have our Power Five on our group of five, but if everybody's going to be competing in that same 130 teams in the FBS or so, how many other teams there are now, um, there should be some centralized way that those rules are going to be distributed across those teams. Uh, Brian, so you're saying, yeah, so okay. you're saying a commissioner, a commissioner in a sense, as some well, yeah, sort of a one set, one body that takes over that. A, a uh, commissioner that is not the NCAA. Um, you know, I know right. this has been a big thing for for Brian. I'm going to kick it back over to him. Is that uh, that the NCAA seems to very much parcel and, and piece out how they're going to administrate. Um, which teams get what benefits and which teams don't. Uh, we've seen incredible inconsistencies mm -hmm. in the way uh, for transfer waivers or teams or players getting their sixth year of eligibility, things that don't really make a lot of sense. Um, so I'm going to kick it back over to Brian. You know, Brian, you've had some big thoughts on whether we, we should have the, the NCAA be there or a commissioner. Yeah, for sure. And for a lot of the people following the NCAA football video game, they know it's not going to be called the NCAA or or that, you know, quote, NCAA in the name at all. And I think that's kind of a, a hint of what might be to come um, with the NCAA, you know, being a different governing body. So we kind of saw some issues Um with transparency and kind of how uh, different conferences handled everything within the pandemic. So quickly uh, in the rules transparency, you know, there's a lack of an injury report right now. That's, you know, you know, consistent across all of college football teams, just hide injuries. Uh, any fantasy owner knows that uh, you have to follow Twitter basically like 10 minutes before the game to figure out if you have, you know, everyone playing like literally just searching <laughs> active players names on Twitter to see if there's any like random hidden injury um, or, you know, the, the unmentioned suspension, um, so to speak. So that's a problem. That would be uh, something that's great for fantasy. Um, before you, could you be go to the next thing, before you go yeah. to the next thing, I also think if they're going to promote, gambling sports betting oh, they true. have they have to be able to have some sort of injury report available you can't just hold out all these injuries and then oh yeah by the way the quarterback's not playing or whoever and that completely <laughs> yeah. changes and the only people that know that are the people within the program yeah. and and that's not right and, and i know gambling isn't what i'm i'm super passionate about but that's a big deal if you're going to start pushing this that's a great point. Yeah, a ton of uh, the CFB Dynasty subscribers play uh, Daily Fantasy, and I do too. And that just sucks when you have someone that's yeah. not listed. Um, you know, I know it's not you know paramount for the college football currently as it's as it's listed. Yeah, I don't know how um, you're going to have these DFS sites as sponsors and then not have uh, injury reports that are regulated. Like yep. that doesn't even that, that doesn't seem right to me. Um, but continue yep. <laughs> next with transparency would be an inconsistency in eligibility rulings it's just weird in terms of length of time that it takes for the ncaa to make a ruling uh different people seem to get different treatment uh all around inconsistent um i don't think anyone can uh you know, combat that one uh there's no standards on penalties or suspensions um and then really the pandemic kind of showcased the silos that we operate in uh when it comes to you know what data do we base decisions on um certainly people can see politics being involved uh it's not my favorite topic but uh it, it seemed to have an impact um, whether it did or it didn't is, is whatever. Like there, there's no like single voice that's helping these decisions kind of go through and guiding how things operate. And I, I do think that a commissioner with these, you know, sets of rules could really make that happen. I know that uh, there's a lot of money involved, uh, a lot of power, um, that comes with getting to that yeah. point, but however it takes, whatever it takes to get there, I think that's the right decision for college. Football. I noticed, I noticed a lot this year, especially in the pandemic, like you had conferences doing different testing guidelines. I thought that yeah. was, I thought it was asinine. Honestly, like how, how do you like the big 10, they said if they have a positive test, they're out for what 21 days or something like that. 
Yeah, more than like, you had to nationally. Yeah, uh, you might as well just sit out the quarantine. season yeah. at that point. Like, <laughs> and NC, NC State starting quarterback missed the entire training camp with a new offensive coordinator and had to have someone else start because he was caught up in a quarantine like that where he didn't right. even – he wasn't allowed to be around for three weeks during the entire camp. So I agree. Right. It was it was definitely wild. I know it was a unique circumstance this year. Um and I'm sure plenty of people have talked about it, but that's the one thing that I noticed as as an inconsistency across the board. You didn't you didn't have the the set guidelines from even the NCAA could have easily come in and said, "Look, this is what everybody's going to do. You know, everybody's going to quarantine for 14 days or 10 days, however many days you want to make." Could it. they have but, though? Do they have yeah. the power to do that with it, football? It makes, <laughs> but then it makes you. But if they don't, then it begs the question: Why are they even a thing? Because I if, agreed. because if if you don't have if you're the NCAA, you're the one that oversees all of this, but you don't have the ability to lay to lay out guidelines and protocols that everybody's going to use. Like and maybe and maybe they have some sort of a say, but some conferences may have said no, we don't like that. Maybe there was disagreement amongst the conferences and maybe that's where a big a lot of the issues came well i think too and without jumping down to what our last topic is going to be because we all three have got some right. pretty wild ideas on how to fix the postseason for college football right one point of that that actually goes into this um politics showing silence for decision making conferences were all operating on different sliding scales as to who's going to be eligible for the postseason look at the big 10 yeah. the big 10 <laughs> we're not playing we're definitely not playing we're going to play, but you have to play X number of games. Oh, wait, now we're only going to make it even shorter <laughs> so we can make sure Ohio State gets in there. When you've had other conferences that played 12 games and their teams that had more wins, albeit against worse competition, but had more wins than Ohio State did, weren't even sniffed in the conversation. So that, to me, really shows that you know each conference being able to make wildly different decisions or somebody need to be able to step in and say, look, if you want to be considered for the playoff, you needed to have played X number of games or been able to do X number of things, and then we'll consider you not leave that up to the conferences because the conferences themselves are going to do like what the Big Ten <laughs> did, and they're going to change their rules just to make sure that they've got a seat at the table. Right. Speaking of the playoff there, that's another thing that was kind of frustrating. The The playoff committee never set any guidelines like Right. What are they looking for this year in this uh, pandemic? Like, are there a, a you know minimum amount of games played? And they're never they never stated that. I know they probably didn't want to like pigeon themselves or pigeonhole themselves into a a certain set of criteria right. if they didn't have to. But it's just you know the transparency that college football fans would like to see just isn't there, and uh, it makes for fun conversation. But uh, honestly, it's. Uh, it's kind of unusual because um, yeah. in every other sport, you know what it takes to, to get to the playoffs. Yeah, real quick, as far as the playoff committee, like not showing transparency, something we kind of talked about or I kind of brought it up that, you know, when they decide who's making the playoff, we don't get to hear those discussions. We don't get to hear what went into those decisions. Same thing with this particular thing with, with – Okay, they got to play this many games. They got to be a conference champ. They got to be this. They gotta... We didn't hear any of that until after the decisions have been made and they kind of just gloss over all of it and say, well, we we liked so-and-so. We liked Ohio State. We thought they were one of the four best teams. Okay, well, I could have told you that back in July that they're probably <laughs> one of the four best teams. Like, yeah, that didn't prove anything to me. But we'll get to more of that when we get to like determining the, the champion and everything, we get to that topic. But yeah. um, I think we need to just move into how do we promote uh, more parity in college football? So another set of things would be, you know, the player imbalance. Um, yep. So I heard some great dialogue um, with Herbie and Pollock on their podcast, you know, months ago, or maybe it was uh, two months ago as uh, the season ended. And they were talking about the transfer portal, um, kind of talent and resource imbalance and how to manage that. And Herbie kind of had some interesting things. He talked about um, having 
every school operate on the same budget for uh, coaching staffs. And that was interesting. Like, obviously you can pay, you know, currently whatever you want for any coach. Um, uh, so there's a few things with player imbalance. You've got the transfer portal and, you know, it's evolving. Things are changing. Uh, we talked about in the last pod, Derek King, kind of how he was uh, eye-opening, you know, after the fourth game. And he immediately made Miami a contender. And that's, uh, you know, great for Miami. But we're seeing instead of these, you know, you know, maybe as the transfer portal, we thought like, okay, the fourth four-star running back on Alabama might transfer out to Boise State and just crush it there. That's really not how it's evolving. We're seeing like Trey Sermon. We're seeing great players on good teams go to great teams. Yeah. Um and uh which is there it's within their right to do by the way totally totally i don't think we should be restricting where they can go like that's agree that's not but i think real quick to jump into that um as far as the transfer portal what happened to these guys getting having to sit out a year that seems to almost gone out the window like the ncaa says you know what we don't want to even make that decision anymore except when it's convenient and that seems that seems like that's the problem like you're going to let Trey Sermon go to to Ohio State and play immediately, yet some kid that's, that hasn't played a down yet for, let's just say Troy. I know I like to bring up Troy a lot. They're my example team, I guess. Go Trojans. Yeah, and then he goes. Let's say he goes to North Texas, and he has to sit out a year. Why? Like there is no why. It's just we don't get that why. They they just make that decision, and it seems like that's final. But if they don't have the power to make those decisions back during the pandemic, how can they make that decision? That's, yep. where, I, that's where I'm kind of lost. The, the coaching staff thing's a little crazy, too, to me. So Alabama, obviously, you've got, like, mm. the former – head coach at the university of texas as an analyst and uh yeah. butch jones also just an analyst like these are guys that right. you know herbie mentioned you know you're coming home from starkville <laughs> you're playing auburn next week and these amazing former head coaches okay maybe not amazing as head coaches but great in their own you know side of the ball yeah. at least they're good they've coaches got the tape ready yeah. Yeah, they've yeah. got the tape ready they've got everything ready to go um and these are you know professional incredible analysts and this year Alabama's got you know a head coach that was fired out of the NFL Doug Marone he's the new D-line coach at Alabama uh, we're certainly <laughs> not playing on the uh, same rules and that's totally fine that's part of college football currently um, there's imbalance everywhere though there's imbalance in you know recruiting you know state of Florida state of Texas state of California right. Georgia uh, all you know great talent states Um coaches training uh there there doesn't need to be so much imbalance in every kind of way so i think kirby's uh suggestion of kind of putting a budget out there was really interesting i haven't really like heard much dialogue cap, on that almost. yeah right okay um, i got you and a and a cap on the amount of coaches you know if you've got you know 12 coaches versus five it's going to be difficult for those five to beat out the twelve. Well, and I don't want to, again, I'm trying very hard to not jump into our last topic. And I think that what I'm going to say now doesn't really jump into there. I think that one of the biggest problems that we have in college football, that once we determine how we're going to address that is going to affect all these other things that are out there. And here's what I mean. The group of five is the only section of teams in college sports and in sports in the United States that says we are not going to allow you to compete for a national championship. You guys are just going to go out and play your games, and the best thing you can do is hope for a conference championship and hope to win the Las Vegas Bowl on December 19th, not to disparage the Las Vegas Bowl, just saying that is the sliding scale for those teams. Those schools don't have a hope of being able to go to a recruit and say, you are going to have a chance at winning a national championship with us. You are going to have your face put in front of national TV audiences at a playoff game, potentially at a national championship. And because that's not a, a component of a school like Fresno state or even a Boise state, or let's go down the line to a school like Texas state or somebody that's just come into the FBS, 
they are always going to be at a yeah Troy. They're always going to be a team that is going to be behind the eight ball and literally the way the system is set up, they will never not be a have not in that system. So again, if we can find a way, and we'll talk about it later, how can we find ways to involve these teams or give them that sliver of hope? Um, I'm a big NC state fan. As you can see, if you go back to the 1983 North Carolina state Wolfpack team versus the Houston Cougars, that was one of the most significant game in all of college sports, not just college basketball, college sports, because you have a team in the Houston Cougars that had two potential NBA Hall of Famers on it. They got beaten by a 10-loss NC State basketball team. And it was considered at the time one of the greatest upsets of all time. And it started the whole thing about Cinderella stories and – and. Um, you know, how the underdog was going to have a chance to be able to to go beat this team. Again, you've got a Houston team with two and two NBA Hall of Famers on that squad got beat by a scrappy NC State team. There is no chance in the world right now that that would ever happen. That would be the equivalent of a, a Boise State winning the national championship over this past year's Alabama or San Jose State finding a way to, to have a Cinderella run. If these teams have that fleeting hope that they can have that Cinderella run, you might see some recruits that may go to that school because they know that there is that chance that they might be able to get those nationalized at some point. Right. Yeah. I think um, over the last few years, and it, you know, I'm clearly a Boise State guy, but Boise State's had a lot of national televised games. But here's the problem they can't get the Saturday at noon slot, they can't get the Saturday at three o'clock slot. They have to get the Thursday night primetime game every week. If they want to be on TV, that's what they've got to do. And that's okay, but you know, if you're playing a Thursday night, then you're playing next Saturday night, then you're coming back the next week playing Thursday night again. Like that's that's unfair in itself. <laughs> yeah. Prepping for the next game. Like you're not getting a full week, you're getting four or five days to prep yeah, well. your games each week. Yeah, well, that's there's really a myriad of really a myriad yeah. of differences um, yeah. and yeah, that's disadvantages. Why the Mac is, yeah, that's why the Mac has moved action to Tuesday and Wednesday, so they can they're right. never going to get put on TV over top of right. the, 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 the ten conferences ahead of them. But uh, right. how many people are going to be watching the Tuesday night or Wednesday night games besides college fantasy football guys or fans of those <laughs> schools specifically? Right. Look in their stands right. and look at the two or three thousand fans that are in there in a non-pandemic year, and see right. that it doesn't really work outside of those very small silos. Right. So I guess we could talk about like the player imbalance. So how do we solve again, Alabama is always going to attract better players than uh, San Jose state, but how do we, I guess, level the playing field as far as recruiting, as far as, you know, that these, these teams have a chance at, at players. Brian, you want to take that one? Yeah, so Matt, you mentioned the haves versus the have-nots, and really in um, in college football, um, you could you could kind of make an argument. I think David Pollock used uh, the Tampa Bay Rays as an example, and a lot of the those top schools you could consider as the Yankees, who you know have all the advantages, they have the money, so to speak. Um, whether or not you want to take that literally, but um, the Rays, like who would the Rays be in this scenario? If you say the Yankees are essentially, you know, the teams with all the money and all the resources would be Ohio state, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, um, and Clemson, uh, the Rays. So the teams that would be able to, to have, to put together a really good team and have a short run, whether it's one year or two years. And, you know, my team, I think the Gators are in that mix. You have, you know, a, maybe 10 or 12 or 15 schools that, you know, have that ability to recruit well enough to when the stars align, get into the playoffs. So how do you, how do you make recruiting? I don't know if that's, that's the question. I think, um, I think really it's, it's more of creating the rules that are in place outside of, of just recruiting and player likeness will certainly impact this in a, in a, pretty critical way 
What do you think, Matt? Yeah, well, I, th I think it's really tough. I think that this one is the, out of the three topics that we have today, the rules transparency, the player imbalance, and the how to determine a champion, this is by far the most difficult one because, as Zach said, don't really think there's a way you can say, Alabama, you can't go and recruit these kids. Alabama, you can't go have these kids. I think it truly comes down to finding a way to take the other things that we've talked about and do those things first and then have those things kind of it organically help to level out the playing field. If a kid knows that there is a chance that they could go to a smaller school, they could go to the, say, Boise State over Vanderbilt. They could go to a great group of five school over a bottom uh, power five school, and they still might be able to get the same kind of exposure and have the same chances. Mm -hmm. You might see more recruits that will be willing to go that direction. I think a great example is Jackson State this year. Where in the what in what other year would you have recruits going there if they didn't have Deion Sanders as the coach? Hmm. Deion Sanders is the coach. They know their school is going to get all kinds of national press just because of who their coach is. Prime they time. Would, yeah, they would never have gone to that school with those kind of star rankings they had if they didn't have right. Deion Sanders as the coach. If we can find a way to get some more opportunity for ability so they can these other schools can at least have that same starting perspective we might be able to see some of that over the years the other way you can That's look fair. at it too is you know how many teams do we allow into the playoff so like when it comes to determining a, determining a champion uh one of the things that really bothers me the most is defining who qualifies and all year long you know game day and all the other shows that you that you watch they coach us up on the playoff committee is looking for the four best teams. Well, that's pretty annoying to me because it's got to be some sort of balance between yeah. best and most deserving because it's not just about winning and having the best players, getting the best transfers. It's about do, uh, playing the best on the field. And this year, it was certainly questionable for Ohio State uh, with their, their six-game season. Um, I definitely mm -hmm. think, that, and they proved it in the playoff, that they are, they're one of the best teams. But we've got to find a way to define that, in my opinion, to where you include that piece of the pie that's most deserving. How did you look on the field? Uh, and certainly you can take things into consideration like, oh, Clemson's quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, is out. They lost to Notre Dame. Um, I mean, they still put up 40-plus points. But uh, – mm -hmm. That's one of those things where, yeah, that's that's where the committee kind of comes into yeah. play. Um, I, let me jump in here. Like, yep. I think that's what I, or at least I thought that's what the committee was for. I thought the committee was for look, the where a computer's not going to pick up on Trevor Lawrence missed that game. The the computer's just going to say, oh, Clemson lost to Notre Dame, and that's it. Whereas a human would say, okay, yeah, they lost, but if Trevor Lawrence plays. Is it a different scenario? I don't know that it is because I thought I thought the freshman played well enough to win that game. It wasn't his fault that they lost. Um, but um, as far as – I want to jump back real quick to the a power five, group of five imbalance. And it's, it's something I've thought about. Like back to the transfer portal. If a guy can transfer and has to sit out a year normally – if you want to have this separation of power five and group of five, why not make it to where if you transfer from power five to group of five, you don't have to sit out. It's almost like transferring to FCS, right? You go FCS, you don't have to or sit out. But if you go from power five to power five, maybe that you do. So then it, it makes that kid think, well, do I want to go from Florida to uh, Indiana to sit out a year or do I want to play? And I think I think that would that would change a little bit. It may it may not in the end. Like if they're trying to go pro, they want to go somewhere where they're going to get seen. But I think that's a, that's something that should be um, talked about if if they're going to have this clear distinction of power five and group of five, which there clearly is, um, whether they want to admit it or not, there is. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's I wanted to get that in because I think that was a, kind of a solution for that. A, or a semi-solution, if you will, but um, well, yeah, and I so. think I think too one of the things that I've always found unique about college football, but also peculiar, is in all the other leagues, we're not really worried about determining who the best team is. 
worried about determining who are the teams that are that have qualified for the playoffs and then allow those teams to take themselves out to see who can win the biggest game. I don't think you can look back historically and say that the team that won the Super Bowl every year or the team that won the big game, if you want to edit that out, Brian, um, <laughs> the team that won the NFL championship game is always the best team. They are the right. team that performed the best throughout the playoffs, and they, they won those games on the field. Mm. College football is one of the only ones where you're like, we're going to go through all these cockamamie formulas to try and say, well, this is the best team or that's the best team. And Zach, you said something that was was really key earlier. For Ohio State to make it into the playoff this year in a 14 playoff because they were the best team after playing their few games, they could have just been placed into the playoff in July or August and never played a game because yeah. that's basically what they did. They basically said, we don't care, Ohio State, what you do on the field. We're going to, on paper, say you're the best team, and now we're going to stick yeah. you in the final. And, and how many this, teams have yeah. gone 6-0 and and then <laughs> lost three three of their yeah. last you know few games? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So uh, real quick, I, a point that I want to bring up, too, about placing somebody in in July you could do that almost every year. You got Alabama, Clemson, let's just say Ohio State, Oklahoma, and that's really the four that you're looking at every year that are going to be in contention for the four spots. There might be a team. Notre Dame might have a year like this year where they they could jump in. Um, a Pac-12 team could maybe jump in. A Washington, you know, go eleven and one or something like that. But you kind of know going into the season that these are the teams that are in play for those four spots. Um, but I think a lot of it's influenced by how they're preseason ranked. If if I'm preseason ranked number three, and I'm let's just say I'm Notre Dame, and I don't lose, regardless of who I play, if I don't lose, I'm not dropping past three. I, you know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me let me ask you a different way, you real quick, guys. So let's take a look at Ohio State's schedule while we're we're talking about them. Nebraska at home. Rutgers at Michigan mm. State, at Penn State, Indiana at home, Northwestern at home. How many teams go undefeated on that schedule? Six and zero. Oh. There's probably, probably at least twenty. Yeah, <laughs> at mean, least I was going to say at least nationwide or just in the Big Ten. Yeah, nationwide, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, I think that's that's fair. And I think another question: else no gets up. that treatment? But Ohio State. Well, here's another question I want to ask. If that's Indiana, do they bend the rules for Indiana to get into the playoff? I mean, you could see they wouldn't, obviously. I mean, I, I think the Big Ten would try to say that they're, hey, look, we're going to advocate for you to, you know, we're going to change a little bit. But they made that decision rather quickly to, to scrap the whole six game thing for Ohio some, State. I forget who it was, but yeah, someone got screwed because they were. They were the team that was going to get yeah. in because well, they met the criteria, and then they changed the criteria. Right. It was. Uh, was it Northwestern? Northwestern? Or was it was it Wisconsin? Was one of those two, wasn't it? Well, Wisconsin had. We talked about it the last pod. Look, they had like two or three breaks where it was two or three weeks at a time where they were out with COVID issues, mm -hmm. and then they were basically a limit. They were eliminated from conference championship play. Like three games into their season, not because they lost, because they weren't going to play enough games. Yeah. But th but then you come back in and say, okay, Ohio State, they're our, our flag bearer, so we're, we need them in the playoff, and they, they're one of the four best teams, so this is the only way they can get in if we remove that restriction. Yep. And that, that to me, like I don't blame the Big Ten. I mean, they, <laughs> I would have done the same thing if I were the Big Ten, but that should have been something where the playoff committee was like, no, that's you, you set these rules now. Because here's the thing, you could literally put the four teams in the playoff. If I said Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma are in the playoff next year, are you gonna are you gonna bet against that? I mean, I mean honestly, like that's a pretty solid bet. If you had to bet all four teams, that that's a pretty good bet that that hits. Yeah, and it's an almost almost certain if you say three of the four because that the first three yeah. are not normally in question. It's normally that fourth one right. is what's in question every year, and it's. It's only the fourth one out of a very, very, very small handful of teams. You've still right. got probably right. 70, 80 teams that will never be in the discussion for that that last yep. spot. And yep. to to carry this a little forward, we've been going for over a half hour now. Our third topic 
that we want to get to because we want to always talk about solutions is determining yeah. how are we going to determine the champion? What would our solution be for how we would determine the champion? And Brian, before the podcast, asked an excellent question and we all three had different answers on and it was it was a really interesting topic. So Brian, what was that question? All right. So um, what sport, what current sport would you model college football after? Um, if you were the commissioner that we're talking about here, um, and for me, uh, I picked I picked the NFL. Um, now this may be so you know full disclosure here. Uh, I'm definitely an SEC snob. I I watch SEC football all the time. I watch all conferences, but you know I watch you know a heavy uh, amount of hours on the SEC. I would split up the divisions, Power Five and Group of Five, into Division One, Division Two, and each one of those would have their 16-team playoff, um, where you have your teams that have basically automatic bids from each conference. Probably would have to do away with conference championships at that point, but I think I'd be in favor of that. Um, to kind of widen out the playoff. I mean, the we current playoff is good at four. Uh, it's better than it was at two. I think eight is ideal with how it's set up now. But I think if you went to a, a split division, I think it makes for some really fun ball games uh, now, with a 16-team playoff, two separate That's ones. Just, so yeah. if you have division one, division two with, with power five, group of five, can does the Power Five ever play a Group of Five team, or do they only play Power Five teams on this? Power game? Five only. Yep. Okay, that, that's fine. Separate. I just I, I didn't know if there was going to be some honestly out of conference it. game. I liked the season where the SEC played ten SEC games. Big Ten played only yeah. Big Ten teams. I think like if you're going to crown that, a conference champ, that should be how you do it. You should yeah. have to play damn near everybody in the conference. Yeah, and if everything you can edit that out. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're good. And if everything. Um, <laughs> everything remains the same as it is now. Uh, the, the small schools, the Texas states of the world, like we're talking about, they, uh, you know, they need those money games against the big mm -hmm. schools. Um, and if they have to do that, make it a preseason game, um, yeah. play it in the summer when practice is happening. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's the solution to, you know, kind of help the flow of money a little bit as things are set up. But yes, I would switch it to an NFL style. Matt, what do you think? To me, I think that we've already got a blueprint for the way we could make it work. And there, every year you have people say, no, 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 it couldn't work, but I think it would. If you modeled it after the NCAA basketball tournament, I think we could make that work for football. And here's how. In college basketball, you currently have 360-some teams that are playing in, the, in Division I. 68 of those teams, about a fifth of them, uh, make it to the playoffs, to the NCAA tournament. You have your conference champions. You have your at-larges. Um, the a conference champion from a from a small conference is not. They're going to get in just like the conference champion from the SEC or the Big Ten or the ACC. They may get a different ranking just because you're a conference champion. Doesn't mean you're going to get a higher rank. Um, I think for college football, you could do easily between 16 and 32 teams in a playoff. And you just look at this year. We showed this year. The teams can change their schedule on a dime, not just the Coastal Carolinas versus the BYUs, but look at every conference that had to push games to the same week as their conference championship. They said, you're going to find out who you're playing the week of the conference championship that week or within two weeks of it. So you had mm -hmm. wildly different schedules for the ACC, SEC, Big Ten in that final, or was it the Pac-12 as well in that last week? Um, people just find out their opponent a week in advance. Um, I think it's like I said, have a 16 or 32 team playoff that would be in December and into the first two weeks into January. You would have your conference champions, then you would have at larges. You would rank them just like the NCAA tournament. You could be one through 32, um, and then you could have a chance where Texas State could win their their conference, and they might be the number 32 team that has to play against an Alabama. The reason why teams like Alabama and the reason why the SEC and the power conferences, the money conferences don't want to do this is they don't want to give up their piece of the pie. How would they have a chance to have a bigger piece of the pie? Hey, now Alabama might have a chance to have five more home games instead of 
only having, I mean, we've had, we, teams now have to win 15 games potentially to win the national championship. What is, what's the difference between it being 16 or 17? Alabama might have to play in the first round and host Texas State. Um, they split that money with Texas State. Texas State now has another money game, but they also have a chance to be the Cinderella team. UCF, who has who crowned themselves national championship a couple years ago, would have obviously made it into the tournament. This year, your Coastal Carolina would have made it in. Cincinnati would have made it in. Iowa would have made it in. All those teams would have had a chance. Then we could have really seen who was the best team in that tournament, not just who does a committee behind closed doors. Yes, you still have to have a committee to determine who the 32 teams are, but far more teams would get a chance to actually play and show on the field that on that any given Saturday or any given primetime Monday night that they were the best team during the tournament. They just want to have a chance to get into the tournament. All right. Well, I have actually two little, um, actually one big kind of far-fetched idea and then another one where it's more realistic. I think realistically, I think six to eight teams. And when I say six, the one and twos would get buys and then three would play six, four would play five. But in this scenario, every power five team conference champ gets in. Then you have one at large. If that is a Cincinnati, if that's a UCF, if that's a Boise State, so be it. But and at least it gives them a chance with that at large. If you if Cincinnati this year is what twelve and zero or ten and whatever they were, I think that they're in the top six. I think they put them in the in the six team field. They would play the they would play the third ranked team, which would have been who Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, yeah. or Clemson. Notre Dame. They wouldn't have, though. They wouldn't have got in because, like, if you look at the final polls, I guess maybe Cincinnati would. They finished eighth in the final poll, but A&M would have got in, and apparently Oklahoma and Florida would have to. Over- I mean, again, six to eight teams. I think six yeah. kind of would be something they'd lean on before they went to eight, but in this scenario, I think at least every Power 5 champ, if that's what you're going to do, the conference champions are so important. How are we leaving one out every year? That, right. that doesn't even make sense. Or well, two sometimes. The one thing I would say about that, though, is that I think Brian is kind of alluding to it here is if you don't make the playoff big enough, it's just going to become another way for how yeah. can we get one or two more power fives in there. Yeah. And still, there still would be a way Coastal Carolina can go undefeated. They can do what they did this yeah. year and play a great schedule pre, pre-bowl. And they weren't even going to be in the discussion. And what more could this team have possibly done then win every game playing double the number of games basically that Ohio State played. What more could they do than win double the amount of games that Ohio State played and still not even be in the conversation? The only way would be to expand out the number of spots and find a way to do it that's still going to put money in the pockets of those Power 5 schools as well so they'd actually want to come and play ball. All right, and my other idea is it kind of piggybacks on Brian's Division 1, Division 2 concept but if any of you follow um soccer promotion relegation system where if you're in the lower flight you win the lower flight the next season you are in the top flight of um, soccer well in this particular case let's just break it down you got sec sunbelt acc conference usa big 12 american pac 12 mountain west big 10 mac okay now, if you want to throw the independence in one of those conferences, we can figure that out later. But let's just say Troy wins the Sun Belt. I'm going to use Troy again. They win the Sun Belt. Next year, they're in the SEC. Vanderbilt went winless in the SEC. They come down into the Sun Belt. Now, they're not going to like that because they're going to lose their share of the pie from the SEC's money pool. But if you want to get back to the SEC, you need to win to get back up. And in this particular case, that way you have five top flight conferences. That's it. And the, 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 you have a schedule of just those teams. Maybe you play 10, 12 games of just the top flight teams. And you can determine who your conference champ is and go from there. And you can have Would a, you, you could stick have a, you, with one team on promotion relegation? Well, I think if you're going to do it with – the current conference format you have, let's just say SEC Sunbelt. I wrote it down. So SEC Sunbelt. If you did one, well, if you did, let's say you did three, like the Premier League does in soccer. Now, <laughs> imagine Tennessee, 
Arkansas and Vanderbilt all dropping down, <laughs> and then you get, and then you get Troy, uh, I think who's South Alabama and uh, give me another Sun Belt team. Is that uh the Raging Cajuns? Oh. Yes, yeah, Raging Cajuns. Yeah, Louisiana. So it would be cool, except now you have three teams that are kind of out of their element versus. That might be and what then, Tennessee and, needs. Well, <laughs> yeah, for Tennessee, yeah. <laughs> but imagine now Alabama gets to play those three teams on their schedule. Also, yep. I think one is cool because it shows. Like, I'm going to go back to UCF. They had like a two or three year run where it was pretty unbelievable, right? They were very successful. If they were in that lower flight, they won it. Obviously, they won it undefeated. Now they come up to the ACC, I think I have it. No, I have them come up to the Big 12. They come in and they got to go to Oklahoma. They got to go to uh, Austin or whatever. They come to them. Those games mean so much more. And the exposure that the, we talk about parity, kids will be like, you know what? I can go to UCF because they're going to play against Oklahoma. They're going to play against Texas. They're going to play against Iowa State, like bigger teams. I think it, it, it's a far-fetched idea, but I don't think it's all that crazy. If you, and the, you think take about the, one, the recruiting, you take you right. You take the <laughs> one big factor out of it, and that's money. I think it's easy. The problem is there's too much money floating around for them to go go for this. I just imagine like, all right, you've got end of the season, <laughs> last game, Mississippi State uh, hosting. Uh, Ole Miss, whatever Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Ole, the Ole, Ole, Miss, yeah, the Ole Miss, and the Egg Bowl loser is relegated. <laughs> but see, <laughs> that's, that's the point. That's a point <laughs> right. about in the Premier League, and I made this before we went on air. In the in soccer, in the in especially the English Premier League, the bottom three get relegated, but you have something to play for all season long. Yeah, we may not win the title, but we don't want to get relegated because <laughs> now we have to start that yeah. grind to get back to the Premier League. And that's not easy because all those teams down in the bottom flight are trying to do the same thing. Yep. Now, look, if Tennessee gets relegated and they win the, the lower flight and come back up, so be it. Now, can you stay there? Well, I think the thing that, that as you can see from the three different uh, thoughts that we all just put out there, there's a lot of things that, that could be done, some more realistic than others, but there's a lot of creativity mm. that's out there. I think we all three can agree four teams out of 130 – that are basically just making the rich get richer and not allowing anyone else, whether you're the second tier team or you are a brand new team to the FBS, not even having a chance is not a system that works well. There's a, there's a big public backlash about it. Nobody wants to see the same few teams every year, but if the if the, if this system is only going to allow for those teams, there has to be some way to get around it. We never thought we'd have a playoff. Now we have a playoff. This playoff is still basically a farce because it's basically a very small amount of teams that will ever qualify. Um, there's got to be more that can be done. And as long as we, people that are doing podcasts like CFB Dynasty and other entities that are out there, there's more of a groundswell we might be able to see an eight or a 16 at some point. Mm -hmm. But we have to make sure that, that we keep continuing to voice our displeasure with yeah. the current system as it is. Yeah, for sure. I think I think there's a lot of potential solutions for this but again i think the biggest hurdle becomes money these these teams don't they want to know what's in it for them to change it because alabama clemson ohio state don't want to change a thing <laughs> you know they're they're there every year why would they want to change what's working for them and let's face it they don't want to have to play arkansas state in a playoff game i mean albeit they'd be at home and they'd likely beat them by four touchdowns, five touchdowns, however many touchdowns. That game, they don't want to have to play it because the odd, the chance that they could lose or the chance that they lose a player in that game to play in a bigger game. You know, like imagine imagine Alabama playing in that game and let's just let's just say Smith and Waddle are both healthy. And he plays in that game against Arkansas State and Waddle gets hurt on some ridiculous like they're up three touchdowns it's in the first first quarter they're get, they're just running away with it and the guy hits him in the knee and he's out where 
I mean, I guess it could happen in any game, but you would rather happen it, it happen in a game that's meaningful than a game that doesn't matter really. You're going to win that game anyway. Well, and you know, one another thing that you could you can kind of play into this, which we didn't really touch on before, was we all, we've talked about there's there's far too many bowl games out there. There's so many games that are just Ugh. they're just exu- they're postseason exhibition games. Yeah. In, in my format, where you've got 32 teams, you could still have 31 of those be bowl games. So you could have yeah. you could have Alabama and Arkansas State playing in the Idaho Potato Bowl, and now the <laughs> Idaho Potato Bowl now becomes a much bigger marquee matchup because that Idaho Potato Bowl could be the, the game that determines the national championship five weeks later. So now that bowl yeah. game has got relevance again. Um, you've found ways to create matchups and put them into compelling situations. And then if you're one of the teams that doesn't make that 32-team playoff, there's still 20 or 30 more bowl games out there that you could still find your team in. Right. And those those would still be those exhibition postseason games. So you could find ways to, to do just like we do right now with the, the rotation between the Orange Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl and whatnot being in the playoff we could do the same thing with the bowls that are in that that first round of the playoff of the okay so so i was gonna ask you this i i was gonna bring up the home field situation but you kind of jumped to the bowl games being the uh hosts for these games my thought really is the first round the higher seed should host it if you're gonna do 16 or 32 teams i think in that sense the high the higher seed hosts the game like Arkansas State should have to go to Tuscaloosa in this scenario and have to beat Alabama on their home field. That's the that's the benefit of being the one seed or the higher seed. Now, when you get to the quarterfinals, maybe that's when you start breaking it off into neutral neutral sites. Um, again, this is just me speaking, just uh, looking forward. Like, okay, if that were to happen would you want it to be a home field all the way through like in the NFL, like where the chiefs would be home field throughout, or is it home field? Then we go to neutral site at a certain point. I think, I think any of those things could be up for the discussion, whatever, whatever yeah. it would take to be able to make the playoff expand. <laughs> yeah. It'd be the, the hey, if, if <laughs> I don't think we care field, where they play it. They could play it on the moon or they could play it on that field. Brian's sitting on right now. You know, <laughs> you know like it's getting cold. Yeah. I, Right. I think uh, we don't, as fans, I mean, yeah, if you want to go to the game, yeah, I guess, but 99% of people that sit at home and watch it on TV, we don't really care where they play the game at. As you saw that this year with, with no fans in the stadium. I, I personally didn't care that there were no fans in the stadium. That's just my opinion. I got to see the game happen. It's the same game. We talked about it last week on the last pod. So I think, I think you could play them, line them up and play them anywhere as long as, you get more teams involved. Yep. And I think we're at least all in agreement on that. Uh, that's, that's one thing we would like to see happen. And kind of in addition to like the player imbalance, the rules transparency and how a champion's determined, uh, we think uh, adding a few more teams in there, not just for the sake of getting them in so that they can get blown out. It's uh, just giving them the chance and giving them the opportunity right. and kind of setting up the rules of college football in a way that, that will, you know, create a little bit more uh, transparency and a little bit less imbalance in, or yeah. a little bit more transparency, a little bit more uh, parity uh, and less imbalance in every different facet of college football. So do we see anything outside of the injury reports that if you are a fantasy football player that's going to be listening to this podcast that's going to potentially would potentially impact or improve the fantasy football experience we, we all agree that the lack of injury reports the the gamesmanship of the injury reports is one of the most divisive things and it causes more frustration for commissioners than anything is there anything else that we've talked about that if this structure was better we think would impact college fantasy football for the better yeah, I think the, the transfer portal, a, a universal rule on the transfer portal, not NCAA is going to review the case by case. Like, no, like, is he eligible or is he not? I, I think that I think that's a big one. Instead of having to wait, you know, four months, six months to hear back from the NCAA where one kid, will, he'll apply and then two weeks later he's already eligible. So and I, think I think it's different I, yeah. depending on the league type. Like if you think about uh, 
going into the season where uh, Derek King opted out after the fourth game, he was the number one pick in fantasy that year. Yeah. Like far and away. And if you're whatever gambling or whatever, if you've, if you've got your, whatever, you've got Derek King on the roster, that sucks. That's the first pick in the draft <laughs> that uh, is wasted yeah. after four games. Uh, conversely, if you're in a dynasty league, do you hold on to a Justin Fields after he transfers and you have to wait a year? Uh, certainly agree with you, Zach. I think that's, uh, that's one of the big things that impacts leagues of all types. And I do, Zach, I do like what you said, because I hadn't thought about that before we got on the podcast, was if you're going to make there be a distinction, this this huge distinction right now between group of five and power five, why not treat the the group of five almost like it was the FCS or division two or division three, where if a guy wants to transfer and he wants to transfer from a power five conference to another power five conference team, they got to sit out a year. If they want to transfer to a group of five school, make that an immediate eligibility next season transfer, which might help that group of five to be able to keep like some of the players. Yeah. I like that. Because I, th- I think it used to be if they transferred to a division one, a FBS school, they had to sit out a year, which was how it was. Now it's well, case by case, we're going to decide if he's eligible or not. I just think there needs to be a universal. If you transfer from here to here, you're either eligible or you're not right away. I, I, I just think if if you have that, I think one, I think you limit who transfers and when. If you know that if I'm transferring, like Derek King, I think if you transfer up in this sense from group of five to power five, I think you should also have to sit out. But I think if you come down, if you're already at the top, and you come down, it's kind of like the promotion relegation thing. If you're at the top already and you have to, you come down, you're eligible immediately. But if you come up, you're essentially recruiting. You're, you're recruiting during the season is essentially what you're doing. But I think that the, the lower – the group of five teams, if we want those teams to have uh, – to be more in balance uh, – in balance, to be more in on balance. par with – like imbalance, right? With the the power five teams, we need to allow, we need to promote that. Look, you come here, you can play immediately versus you could come here. Now you might play immediately or you might sit out a year. And I think, I think that would change a lot of the landscape, but um, that's, that's my opinion on the transfer portal. I, I think a universal rule would be beneficial for everybody. I like it because if because yeah, if you knew a guy was leaving your program, like Brian, if, if a guy was leaving Florida, and you see he's transferring to, let's just say Utah State, I know he's eligible and I know how good he is. I'm gonna go grab him in my dynasty league. Yep. Right. Where if I know, all right, he's going from Florida to Purdue, do I rush to go get him because he's gonna sit out a year? Probably not. Right, you you Same. might have yeah. him. He might have him on the back burner. Like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep an eye on him. You know, but at least you know. know. Yeah, at least you right. know, and we you can know you know rank the them accordingly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I hate having a guy ranked on potential. If he's eligible, this is where we rank him. <laughs> and I know you've done that before because I I yep. know I've done that before. Like, yep. and then you get the 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 news in late July. Oh, he's got to sit out. <laughs> Like that sucks. Like that's the worst. <laughs> now you have to like completely change everything. Like he was going to be their starting quarterback and now he's not even eligible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, just about every team's impacted like that. It's, it does right. suck. So that's a big deal for fantasy. So I agree. Yeah. Well, I think we covered a lot today. Um, it's a little scattered there here and there, but I think we, we got our message across and uh, I think we got a lot more to talk about throughout the year. So well, I, I will think Zach, I think one of the things too, that I know the reason why you guys wanted to start this podcast is we want to know whether or not you guys that are listening to this, whether you agree or disagree, this is ah, gonna, yes. we, want, we want to know what you think. If you agree or disagree, if right. this is going to go on the, uh, the audio podcast comment there, if it's going to go on to YouTube comment in the YouTube comments, let yeah. us know what you think. We want to know if you agree with our thoughts. We want to know if you think that anything we say, lines up with what you believe we want to know if you think we've said stuff you completely disagree with we want to know what you think about the cfp dynasty podcast and what you think about uh, our ideas 
I like it, Matt. I appreciate that. And yeah, what we've got on tap for you guys coming up in the next couple podcasts will be next man up. So we've we've talked about uh, you know what we learned, all the 2020 CFF awards. Um, talked about parity in college football and and general college football stuff. Next, we're moving right into 2021. So next man up, we're going to look at all the best players who are heading to the NFL or whatever else they're going to do um, after crushing it in college football and look at who's going to fill those shoes and talk about how they can uh, impact your college fantasy team in 2021. And the next pod after that, we'll be going over our early college fantasy football rankings for 2021, going over quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. Uh, We've put in a lot of work so far, and we have uh, a lot of the early work done, so we are close to launching that. So looking forward to getting onto the 2021 stuff. Sweet. I'm looking forward to it. Um, It's spring practice is right around the corner, so it'd be good to talk about that too. Definitely. So anyway, well, I think that's all we've got for today. Um, This is Zach. Matt, Brian, uh, we'll see you next time. Out. See ya. See ya.